following sermon is brought to you by Genuine, the college ministry of Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. More information about our ministry is available at www.cogginchurch.org forward slash university. Oh man, how are y'all tonight? Semester going well. See a lot of really heavy eyes out there like y'all are barely getting through right now. And it's only the end of February, so that's encouraging. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad Anders. I'm the university associate here at Calgon Avenue Baptist Church. The last couple of weeks, uh, we started a series on counterculture, truth and grace in an upside-down world. Super cool graphic designed by Hunter Carrier at Willie's Tees. Um, if you've seen Stranger Things, you get it. So, so over this series, we're going to be talking about the gospel, which we've already covered, justice, spent two weeks on abortion, it's not looking to addiction, the next couple of weeks will be marriage, homosexuality, divorce, and racism. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to take hot-button topics in culture and tell you what Scripture, the truth of God, is saying about them. So that way you're, you're hopefully learning through the Spirit to look to the Word of God for the truth instead of what the world's telling you. We're going to show you what's ethical, what does God declare is right, beautiful, good, and true, and what's relational. How do we love people living in this brokenness? this bondage to sin. We keep referring back to this quote by Abraham Lincoln. Sir, my greatest concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. So tonight I want to start ground zero. I really think that the importance of knowing who God is really lays a foundation for believing what the Bible says. And God is exactly who he says he is. If we don't get an understanding of this, anything we teach about the truth of God just doesn't have the same weight. Especially in a society where everything you're told to do, hey, just do what makes you happy. Hey, do what makes you feel good. Like, that's what life's all about. And God's like, there's freedom in me to truly experience happiness, but only through Christ can you achieve freedom in this life. Matt Chandler says, our biggest temptation is that we want to make God in our own image. We want to decide for God who he is, what he does, how he acts, and how he doesn't act. What he would do and what he wouldn't do. This is human for us to try and make God in our own image, but we're made in his. The more you try to define God outside of God's self-definition, you leave the realm of reality. God is God. God is who he says he is. Exodus 3.14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're going to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God is righteous when he commands is righteous. There will never be a variance between what God tells you to do, what he says he will do through you, and what the word teaches you about God. And all of our sermons here, um, they're written through the influence, prayerfully written through the influence of the Holy Spirit, by believers and, and receivers of Christ to build ourselves up in truth, but also to bring hope to those who don't know Christ, to show the ones who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, hey, he's the truth, he is the answer, and, and this is how we hope you gain understanding of who God is in your life. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll, get into, uh, we'll get into addiction. So, Father God, come to your night, Lord. I'm just so thankful. Um, 
amongst busy schedules, Father, myself, and, and all the students in this room, Lord, I just pray that tonight you, you give us rest as we hear your truth, um, as we worshiped earlier, God, and as we worship now through your word. Father, I pray that you just allow deep breaths to fill the lungs of everyone here, give them a fresh breath of, of energy to finish out at least another week and a half until spring break, and um, God, we pray that spring break is safe for these students as well. But Lord, tonight, I just pray that your spirit will consume me, God, that if I say anything that, that's not of you, God, I will look foolish. But Lord, I pray tonight that you reign true and your truth is honored the way it should be. God, we love you. We praise you. And God, we thank you for the grace that is in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So addiction. Addiction is a disorder of the brain's reward system, which develops over time from chronically high levels of exposure to an addictive stimulus. For example, eating food, the use of cocaine, not really the same thing, but, you know, going in the right direction. Engagement in sexual activity, participation in high-thrilled cultural activities like gambling, dancing. Uh, I'm not saying that you can be addicted to dancing. Maybe you can be. I don't know. But um, the nature of addiction, according to Ben Affleck, is that you're trying to make yourself feel better by eating or drinking or sex or whatever, but that ends up making your life worse. Ben Affleck admitted on CNN earlier this week that he's coming out of a super dark part of his life where he was an alcoholic, and he's finally recovering because of the people who he's surrounded himself with calling things out in his life. But you're like, oh, Ben Affleck, what? Like all the great movies you're in. No, Ben Affleck struggles too. The thing is, is addiction has consequences. Um, it warps your minds. It, it, ruins, it ruins souls. It pulls you farther away from where you want to be, hopefully closer to the Lord. It ruins relationships. And even if you're thinking like, oh, it's, well, I'm not addicted to anything, Okay, but the chances are you know someone who is, or eventually in life you'll encounter someone who's dealing with addiction. Now, I need to clarify one thing for sure, and that's I'm not concerned with the person who's okay with being stuck in addiction. If you're stuck in addiction and you're just okay with being there, there's nothing that anyone can really do for you. Now, for those of you who might be stuck in an addiction and, and you don't want to be there, now, now you're making steps towards getting yourself in a place of freedom. But you have to want to get out. Something that the Spirit brought me this week was this crazy analogy of addiction is kind of like heading towards a cliff in a car that's on fire. And even though you, you know it's coming, you're trying to get as comfortable in that car as possible. You're like, I know this is leading to death, but that's okay. Like, I'm going to you know, put this pillow right here, and you know what, it's, it's all going to be okay. But getting out of addiction is fighting for your life to get out of that car because your life depends on you escaping from that flaming car heading towards the cliff. It's just, it's, it's an interesting thing. So I want to look at a couple statistics. Addiction in 2017, all these statistics are from 2017. 886,000 Americans used heroin at least once. 886,000 people admitted to using heroin at least one time. No telling how many did it and didn't tell anybody. Two million Americans used um, or misused prescription opioids, painkillers, for the first time. Almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction. Again, this is all things that people admitted that it could be recorded. So there's the numbers are much higher than all this. And 34.2 million Americans committed DUI. So that's drugs and alcohol, pornography, 
um, 25% of all search engine requests, 45% of everything searched on the internet is related to sex. 40 million Americans admitted they regularly visit porn sites. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 visit porn sites at least once per month. I'm 25, so obviously I'm good to go. The largest consumer group of online porn is men between the ages of 35 and 49. And one-third of all internet porn users are women. All right, quick Q&A. What day of the week do you think is the day that porn sites are most visited? Saturday, Sunday, Monday? Well, it's Sunday. Today's Sunday. Okay, okay, another question, all right. What day of the year do you think is the most popular day to visit porn sites? Easter, Valentine, Easter? <laughs> Yikes. Valentine's Day, any other guesses? Christmas, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know, I know. But what's crazy is the increasing exposure the increasing exposure of children to porn is also contributing to this rise in porn addiction. The, the age that children, on average, are exposed to pornography now is 11 years old. Most of these sites, all they take is a simple click on a button that says, are you 18 years or older, and you're in. It, there's no way to identify that. As many as 93% of boys and 62% of girls first see pornography prior to turning 18 years old. Cell phones, oh, man. The average person checks their phone every 12 minutes. This is 80 times a day on average you're checking your cell phone. 31% of people feel true anxiety anytime they're separated from their cell phone. Remember, y'all sleep eight hours, a, well, hopefully eight hours. No one's getting eight hours in here. Am I kidding? 17% of people use broken phones, cracked screens, blown up backs, no cameras at work. Because after four hours, the average person has a serious need to check their phone. Three statistics that I read this week was 33% of people would rather give up intimacy with a spouse for a week than go a day without their cell phone. 62% of people would rather go a week without chocolate than their phone for one day. And four out of ten people, 40% of people would rather go a full day with no voice not being able to, to talk to anyone and go with their phone, go without their phone for a day, 24 hours. Hearing some of those stats, you're probably thinking, you know, some addictions have kind of like, well, it just happens. Like, you know, if I don't check my phone every 12 minutes, like, well, I'm going to miss everything. Well, this stigma is about a lot of addictions, though, not just cell phones. I know when, when my wife and I had been dating for about three months, I, um, so, hey, babe, like, I need to talk to you about something serious. Like, let's go out to dinner tonight and, and, and talk about it. I, I wanted to talk about, at that time, a, a pretty strong addiction to pornography. And, um, you know, it's, it was serious to me, and, and that sin had a hold on me for so long. Like, I wanted to be open with, at my, at the time, girlfriend before, like, we got more serious. Well, the mistake that I made is she, she started conjuring up in her mind much more serious things that were going to happen. Like, oh, he's cheating on me. Oh, we're breaking up. Like all these things that I didn't even didn't even think about it. Um, so when we sat down to talk, her mind was already like at the worst possible scenario. And I was like, hey, babe, like, you know, I just want you to know 
Like, I'm fighting and winning, you know, an addiction to pornography. Oh, that that's it? Like, I thought every guy just, just dealt with that. And I was like, that's not how I want you to react, like, to me admitting my addiction to you. I, I've, I have friends in ministry, really, really good friends, who, when, when they would tell their wives, like, hey, I slipped up, like, you know, like, I gave into this addiction, whether it be smoking cigarettes or pornography or, or insert addiction here, their wives would break down on the floor and cry. They were so torn up that their spouse, the other part of them, was struggling with something so, so serious. Everyone struggles with addiction, though. It looks different for everyone, but everyone has something that is constantly pulling you away from, from truth. A lot of people struggling with addiction start to realize a few things, that just going to church, it's not going to get you out of addiction. Only praying hasn't released you from addiction. A great theologian once said, there's a difference in desires. You have a strongest desire, and you have a deepest desire. Daniel Attaway said that. And, and the truth, oh yeah, Billy's in the picture too, but yeah, that's Daniel with the yellow hat and no beard. Yeah, yeah, that's Daniel. <laughs> Oh, just wait. Um, the the thing that the thing is though is, is like that really stuck with me when, when Daniel said that because the reality is is hopefully as as a Christian as a Christ follower, your deepest desire is to know the Lord, to serve Him well, and and to love Him to the best of your ability. But your strongest desire sometimes gets in the way of that because your strongest desire can can change as fast as as the wind does. If you're hungry, your strongest desire is for food. If you're thirsty, your strongest desire is for drink. If you're bored, your strongest desire is to do something entertaining. But your deepest desire, it needs, it needs, it needs to be rooted in loving the Lord with everything that you have. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful, perfect. Leaning on the Lord does help you see the reason for trying to overcome addiction, and it's to serve and honor him. If you're struggling to get out of addiction, it's not because the Lord doesn't love you. Like, I, I need you to know that tonight. There is so much grace, so much grace from the Father. He doesn't want you to stay in that hell that you feel locked in. The enemy is powerful, but the Lord and his word is so much more powerful. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is... It's referencing temptation to sin and the reality that, that God will never place us in a situation where there's no escape. He's never going to put us in, in, in a spot and be like, good luck, you're going to fail. <laughs> Cheering for you, even though it's not going to happen. He would never do that. That's never going to happen with the, with the God that we serve. This verse is reminding us, it, it, it puts responsibility on us for our own sin. Once you become a Christ follower, you take responsibility of sinning because once you receive the Spirit, you have the ability not to sin anymore. Relying on the Lord and taking all your thoughts captive and, and fighting through temptation, you have a chance to escape sin. Paul speaks about this here in a little bit, but you have the ability to fight against temptation and fight against the sin nature that, that you've been given. I believe that sin doesn't lead to the human flourishing. It makes you believe it will. Billy Cash. He said this a few weeks ago, and, and the truth in that is he looks terrifying in that picture. But it's just, it's so true. The, the, the truth of Scripture is that everything the Lord has for you is better than, than you can conjure up for, for, for yourself. 
everything that the Lord has for you is better than the plans that you have for yourself. When Scripture talks about the slavery of sin, what does that mean for us today? How, how does that fit in with addiction, and what does it truly mean to be given over to the Spirit instead of temptation? When we encounter clear and true biblical teaching, um, man, we must say, okay, like, wh- what is the Bible saying about this? What am I learning from Scripture that I can use in my own life? How can I take Scripture and apply it to what I'm going through? Edward T. Welch calls this practical theology. How am I taking Scripture and truly applying it to my life? So many pages of notes. John 8, 31 through 36. Um, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son or daughter belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now for those of you in this room who are believers, I I would bet and I would hope that the best day of your life was the day you gave your life to Christ. I I know for, for me it definitely was. Getting my, my, my first vehicle at 16, it was a single bed, long, single bed, single cab, long bed, white work truck, crank windows, no cruise control, like, was, was not too excited about getting that, honestly. I was young, I was prideful, I wanted, you know, the big jacked up truck. I lived in a country town, if you can't tell. Um, like, that just wasn't that great of a day. College graduation, I, I didn't get to graduate, I did, didn't get, I, I graduated, let me clarify <laughs> I did graduate. I didn't, get, I didn't get to walk the stage because our baseball team was playing in the conference tournament for the fourth straight year, so we were gone in Dallas playing baseball. So I didn't get to walk the stage. So I missed out on the whole, the high of the 10 seconds of, oh, thank you so much, David. All right. And parents, yay, good job. I missed out on that, which is unfortunate. Um, my wedding day, wedding days are kind of overrated. Uh, love you, wife. Um, I'm just kidding. Wedding day was great. And it's a very close second to giving my life to Christ. I will say that. Um, it was. It was the best of my life. It, it didn't take me long to realize, though, that even though I've given my life to Christ, even though I became a son of God, even though my name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life, like I'm eternally, eternally the Lord's, my sinful nature hadn't gone away. I, I, I had the spiritual high for a while that, that helped me get my mind right and start focusing on the right things, but eventually that sinful desire, that desire to turn against God came back. And the thing is, before we were all Christ followers, we were, we, we're really good at sin. Like, we're all-star sinners. Like, you'll get, we're like the LeBron James of sinners, all right? But what's awesome is Christ changes all that. It, it would be naive for you to think that putting your faith in Christ alone means that the enemy is going to stop trying to tempt us. Instead, it becomes this battle of flesh versus spirit like Galatians 5 talks about. And you now have the ability to fight sin, but now you know that you, that sin has to be fought. Which, we're talk, I was talking with Ricky Cabot about this earlier. It's like, you know, you're kind of like, oh, man, like, you know, if you're in the world, you don't even think about sin. You just, you just live the way the world tells you to live. But once you come out of the world, once you put your, your faith in Christ, it's like, all right, like, I know that that doesn't glorify the Lord. And I have to fight against that. I, I have to do everything I can in my power to fight the sinful nature that you've been given. 
John, 1 John 5.19, Tim, Tim talked about this this morning. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So as long as we're on this earth, fighting sin is going to be one of our main jobs. If a true desire is to look more like Jesus, which hopefully as Christ followers it is, um, the only way to do that is by obedience. Obedience to the truth of he is who the perfect book of Scripture says he is. Obedience to die to yourself and pick up your cross daily. Not just Sundays or Wednesdays, especially not Sundays. We talked about Sundays earlier. Um, not just every now and then, but daily. You have to be willing to die to yourself every day. You know who struggled with this? Paul. Paul the Apostle. Paul Chandler probably also, but we're focusing on Paul the Apostle right now. Romans seven fourteen through 25. If y'all can't read that, Pull it up in your phone. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. If you try and read this fast, it's not going to happen. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. It's going to take a fight, y'all. Overcoming addiction, no matter the severity, is going to take commitment, and you have to see it through. It's dangerous at times, not always bad, but dangerous while you're fighting through temptation to revisit things that remind you of where you were when, when, when you were in the middle of addiction. People, places, um, it can conjure up old emotions and feelings, which is why the next part is so important. Do not fight alone. Literally a guy staring in the mirror about to punch himself and his reflection's like, no, don't do it. It, w- it wouldn't be good anyway. Find community and more importantly, accountability. I have an accountability group that I meet with 6.30 every Monday morning. A.M. 6.30 a.m. Needless to say, not everyone makes it every week. I'm not going to say any names. <coughs> Zach. <coughs> um, but those guys, they, they came alongside me, and, and I them, and to ensure ourselves and each other that if we ever start to drift, we can kick ourselves back into line with what the Word of God says we should be doing. And y'all, this is huge for a bunch of guys in their early 20s. Huge. And ladies, I know a ton of accountability groups full of God-fearing women who are pushing themselves to keep their heads up high, confidence in the Lord, and to glorify Him through everything. And let me tell you why this is so big. So my wife and I have some people that are close to us, like some people that we love the most in our life. And we were 
out at lunch one day, and, and they, we had someone else with us who, who's close to them and loves them a lot, and they, they love them as well. And um, they were struggling with something pretty serious that, 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 that had happened, that they had gotten a, a DUI. And for me, every time I've experienced someone in my life who's gotten a DUI, they've been surrounded by people that are like, hey, like, you know what? Like, that happened. You can't do anything about it, but, like, let's learn from this. Let, let's, let's build towards, you know, never doing this again. Like, you know, let's, let's learn from our mistakes. Our friends, though, didn't handle the situation very well. They, they heard what, what had happened in this person's life, and they told them, and I quote, Oh, you got a DUI? That's no big deal. DUIs are like tattoos. Everyone has one nowadays. And me and my wife were like, there's six people at this table and only one person has a DUI. None of us have DUIs except for them. That's not truth. That's not the kind of community that y'all want to be surrounded by. You want people in your life who are going to speak truth, who are going to point you in a direction of fixing mistakes when you make them or helping you learn how to fix mistakes. 2 Corinthians 10, 2-6 says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be so bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, the Holy Spirit. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. So we're not fighting addiction and sin on our own strength. No, the, the Lord's blessed us with the Holy Spirit. He's given us a piece of himself to dwell in us, to lean on, to fight against sin and temptation. Paul reminds us here in 2 Corinthians, just like he did back in Romans, that we don't do it on our own. If we did it on our own, we would fail all the time, every time. And I can't stress enough the grace that is, that the Lord blesses us with with the ability to fight against the things of this world. If he just let us go and live alongside what the world tells us to do, think of the lives we would have. Think about it. Not knowing the Lord. Not having any true hope. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And for those of you who are fighting addiction, if if this does apply to any of y'all in here, no matter what the world may tell you, fight. Fight because your life depends on it. So moving into the last part I have here, and then um, Billy will come up with, with Kyle. I want to help give you all some tools to, to uh, detect um, addiction in people's lives around you. To kind of help you learn how to confront that biblically and then how to help them through that, past that point. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you may also be tempted. So the odds of someone texting you and being like, hey, man, or what up, girl? I'm really struggling with addiction. Like, you know, just can't put down my Xbox controller. Like, it's, that's probably not going to happen. Um, someone admitting, you know, anxiety to you or even like, hey, like I'm kind of dealing with, with depression. Like, I'm overwhelmed. Like, those things happen. Like, friends talk about those things all the time. But 
someone admitting that they're addicted to something is slim to none that they're going to be open about that. So before you can help someone in a sinful habit, you have to see it. And it's really, really easy to hide, especially in someone that you love. So what should we do? Um, should we say that love always trusts, like 1 Corinthians thirteen seven, and just be like, hey, like, I love them, I trust them. Even though they're probably lying to me, like, I, I trust them, like, you can't do that. But at the same time, you can't just never trust anybody. That's also very counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve here. And Scripture tells us time and time again that it's not our job to play detective. Our confidence is not in our ability to, to play detective. Um, our, our confidence comes from, instead, the fact that the Lord loves us. He loves us. And unfortunately, for, for anyone stuck in addiction, he loves us so much that he'll eventually bring that addiction to the light so that people around you can see that and hopefully come alongside you and help you through that. So what are some things that we should be looking for? So work and school. Have habits changed? Are they bringing home less money from work? Um, is their concentration poor? Are they late getting here? Are they not coming at all? Are their grades dropping? Which if you're not going to class at all, your grades are going to drop. All right, just want you all to know that now. There's still plenty of time in the semester to get that fixed. Um, but the thing is, is like, b- before, before you ever talk to someone about, hey, I think you're addicted to whatever, you need to seek counsel on these things. It's not something that, that we should go into blind. Um, but also, like, when you, when you do seek counsel or when you do think that someone might be struggling, like, be, be honest with them. Like, talk to them about it. Because you want to build that trust and honesty between you and that other person. Um, if you think that won't be a good idea, if you think that, like, hey, they're not going to respond well to this, again, seek counsel on these things. This is huge. In relationships, has their peer group changed? Um, are they more secretive? Do they spend a lot more time by themselves? If, if, they're, if they're Christ followers, has their spiritual life changed? Are they more hardened to truth? Have they been caught lying? They break commitments. Are they skipping Bible studies or church that they used to be extremely involved in? This is a huge sign for, for a believer that might be struggling. Physical and emotional changes. Um, have they been losing weight? Have they been gaining weight? Are they more tired than usual? Are they restless? Do they look kind of rough? Does it sound like any student during finals week? Um, are there mood swings, personality changes? Do they speak about being depressed or suicidal? Do, do they say things like, like, I hate this town, I hate this job, I, I hate this school, I just don't want to be here. Again, every Howard Payne freshman at some point. Before they get involved and fall in love with the school, like, love, love, love. It does mean, though, that this doesn't always lead to, like, hey, they're, they're addicted. But what it does mean is that you need to check in with this person. You need to go to them and be like, hey, man, like, you know, you've been acting kind of different lately. Um, you've, you know, you just, you've, you've been restless. Like, you know, you, you're never around anymore. Like, like, how are things going? Like, go to them. Be honest with them. Love them. You're preparing to confront somebody. If, if you feel like, you know, you, you might have enough here. James 5.20 says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner... From the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. So if you've got evidence, but you, you don't quite have enough to convict them, it's time to sit down with the other person and, and give them a chance to, to talk about it. Um, scripture tells us that we don't confront as one addict, or we, 
correct, backtrack. We don't confront as just like, you know, I'm better than you. Like, you're obviously struggling with something. But we confront as one addict to another. Because we want to point them towards freedom the same way that, that we've, we've been pointing towards freedom. Because not, not all of us are addicts of substance. But we're all addicts of something. And we need to be reminded that we have private idols. Whether you realize it or not, like, everything, or not everything, but everybody has something pulling them away from the Lord. And we're all fighting through that daily. But be a person who is quick to acknowledge your own sin and that you can't overreact to the sins of other people. You can't do that. If you want to build that trust and you want to build that relationship closer to where you can hopefully help them through something serious, don't overreact to what's going on in their life. So all, all this leads to us using what Proverbs twenty five fifteen calls a gentle tongue. We, we have the ability to speak love and speak truth into these people's life. More importantly, y'all, show grace. Show grace. We've all been there in some aspect. We've all been in a spot where we're desiring, desiring to change. So show grace. More importantly, don't put yourself in a situation that might be better left off for a professional counselor. Know your limits. Know your limits. So the end game of all of this is to love the way Christ would. If you missed our movie night on Friday, Endgame, great film. Because regardless of how the interaction goes, regardless, you have one job, and that's to continue to love them the way Christ does. No matter what happens, love them the way Scripture tells us to love them. If the conversation went well and they admit that, hey, I need to make some changes, you know, maybe I even need to go see a counselor, come alongside them. Be with them during that. Love them through that. Encourage them through that. When they're slipping, build them back up. If they're wanting to fall away, catch them. Help, you know, help put them back on the, right, on, on the right track. And if it didn't go well, love them from a distance. Love them from a distance. Don't just be like, well, I'm done. But stay there with them. Love them as much as they'll allow you to. And that might sometimes lead to you having to create a permanent distance from them until something changes, until they realize, hey, I need to fix this. Because sometimes people just have to come to that decision on their own. But if you continue to love them, be wise and know when that moment comes that you, you need to create that separation. But through all of this, whether you're struggling with something, whether you know someone who's struggling, struggling with something, seek wiser counsel and go to scripture on what to do. And y'all remember, grace covers a multitude of sins. You're never at a point where you're too far. Never a point where you're too far away from the Lord. He is always right there. He is always, always right there. Never stop praying for them. Can't emphasize that enough. Never stop praying for those who are struggling, and for yourself. I'm going to pray, and then Billy and Kyle can go ahead and come up. All right, so I was uh, born in Brownwood, Texas, here, and uh, my dad's a retired Southern Baptist preacher. My mom's a teacher, and so uh, I couldn't get away with anything. Uh, but I was, I was saved whenever I was seven years old. I'd been down in uh, Zephyr, Texas, south of here. And uh, heard a sermon that really spoke to me, and I went home, and I told my parents that I'd accepted Christ into my heart at the age of seven. And uh, as a preacher's kid, 
it, it gets a little bit difficult. I mean, everybody knows you, everybody knows your story, so everybody's coming up to you, they're talking to you, they know you. So it's having a lot of eyes is just a lot of pressure growing up. And I'm not saying that the, the way I went with my life is, is because of that, and that's the excuse, but it certainly kind of led to my rebellion whenever I graduated from high school and went on to college. Um, so as far as we're talking about addiction, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you about my story with regards to addiction. Uh, I started smoking weed whenever I was 13 years old in high school. Uh, was sneaking it around my, my parents and would smoke it in the backyard. And then uh, whenever I went to college, I didn't really much like alcohol, but I would drink and smoke till I threw up, and that wasn't much fun. And uh, then I got introduced to what we called it back then was ecstasy. Uh, I think y'all call it MDMA or something like that. I don't know. But uh, that, that was good and fine for a while, and then I got introduced at a party about six months after this. I'm still about 18, 19 years old. I uh, got introduced to crystal methamphetamine and uh, started using both of those at the same time. Uh, that's whenever things got real dark. Uh, I started to pull away from my family. Uh, it, it, was, um, it was scary. It was scary. Uh, you you have this, this overwhelming shame and this overwhelming guilt for the actions that you're doing that you really can't say no to because it's so deeply rooted. It, it's grasping you at that point. But... Because of the shame, you're, you're isolating yourself. And so if anybody tries to get too close, it's, it's your tendency to, to push away and create walls. Uh, this continued on and uh, almost died a couple times, had a gun pulled on me a couple times. Um, right around till I was about 24. And uh, my family, uh, my granddad, my mom, and my dad sat down at dinner one night. And they said, uh, what's going on? And I said, I'm, I'm addicted to crystal methamphetamine. And my mama started crying. And it, it broke my heart. That was the worst part of it. But that was, uh, they said, well, what do we need to do? And I said, show up to my apartment once a week and drug test me randomly. And so that was kind of like the beginning to um, my road to recovery from, from that particular addiction. Uh, and then I was working at Olive Garden as a server, got promoted. They sent me to Lubbock, and I was a manager and uh, was, was making good money, uh, but was prescribed Adderall and Xanax, which is not a good combination either. And so that kind of uh, led to a, a road of prescription uh, medication addiction um, till about in 2014. Yeah, so uh, it was, it was the people I was hanging out with. I mean, so I, I, um, I never went to class. I, I was with the people that that were, you know, partying all the time, and these were just some of the things that that they were doing. I mean, we were we were all smoking, and then all of a sudden, like somebody came over with with this little pill, and I was like, oh well, that they seem to be having a lot of fun. I'm just gonna kind of see what that's like. And then it, if looking back and talking about it, I'm like, how in the world could somebody be so stupid? How could I be so stupid as to have fallen into this, this trap and it, it's take two decades of my life? Um, but it was living it is just one step, one step, one step. Yeah. And, and then next thing you know, you're, 
you're in a spot where you're just completely lost and scared to death, really. Sometimes it was um, getting arrested. I got arrested once at, at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport, and my dad had to pick me up. And uh, on the way home, he didn't say a word about it, but that was that was a time whenever he said, you, you know, do you, did you like what happened? I said, no. He said, do you know what you need to do to keep it from happening again? And I said, yes, sir. And I went right back to what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Did you? Despite my best efforts, I, I, I couldn't do it. I would um, have every intention of cleaning up my life. I knew, I knew it was just completely killing me, eroding my relationship with my family, who had always loved me, always cared for me. Everybody that, that tried to give me love in my life, I had cut off because that love would mean facing the darkness that was in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it, was, it was scary. It was dark. It, was, um, it seemed like it, it was going to go on forever. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so what it, happened? Like the, the defining moment, I think it's 2014, 2015, and I've got a persistent brother-in-law. And I don't know if any of y'all have brother-in-laws, but it's a brother-in-law. You know, it's not yeah. really family. <laughs> okay, it's yeah. Like, it's like a yeah, brother-in-law, yeah. you know what I mean? They just so invited like maybe you don't respond in. to his yeah. text like immediately. Yeah. Maybe you don't return his call for a couple days. Right. But the brother-in-law, this brother-in-law is persistent. And he doesn't, I don't think he has any foreknowledge of like the situation I'm in. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a manager at BJ's Restaurant and Brew House. I'm making good money, and yet he's he's persistent about this sermon. So y'all have heard of Matt Chandler? Anybody heard of Matt Chandler? Yeah, y'all yeah. know Matt Chandler. So Matt Chandler, he had heard this sermon by Matt Chandler, and uh, he called me and he said uh, he'd reminded me, kept texting me, "Hey, check this out. Did you check it out?" And I s- kept saying, "No, this I haven't. Sermon. No, I haven't." The sermon, the sermon. Yes. yeah, that he kept sending. Yes, me. yes. Yeah. And so uh, I said. He called, and I, he said, did you check out that sermon? And I said, well, I, I watched a little bit of it. And he said, dude, it's audio. <laughs> and I was like, I'm busted. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> so I, I, I listened to it. And what, what Matt was talking about is the fact that our hearts are idle factories that, that we're perpetually replacing the desire of our, our hearts, the love of our hearts was something other than Jesus, without uh, something other than God. Um, and through this sermon, he talks about how completely sinful each and every one of us are. There's not one person that is in this room that is not entirely, completely unworthy of the love of God and completely consumed with sin. That's all of us. And that's kind of why I feel comfortable talking about this, is we're all in the same boat one yeah. way or the other. But because of our depravity, you understand the magnificence of what Jesus did on that cross. That's, so, yes, I was saved at seven, but it was this progress, progressive sanctification that of God wooing himself, him, me, back to him, him, him constantly pulling me back and pulling me back. So um, that that was like the turning point. It, I, once saved, always saved. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. That's 100% true, once saved, always saved. I, I truly believe that at the age of seven, I was placed into the hands of God, that, that I could never be snatched out of it. 
But what we forget is we're in constant need of his saving. So if we try to look to something else, we're not going to be satisfied and we're going to be consumed. If we don't keep him as number one and, and keep one foot in front of the other towards that cross, um, we're, we're going to constantly be in need of, of his salvation. It's a continual thing. You, it completely tore me up. And, and what's interesting is the, the transformation that came from that. I suddenly became hungry for, for more. And so Matt Chandler preaches at the Village Church, and they have an app. And so it's all these archived sermons. And so I yeah. just started milling through all of them. I couldn't get enough of them. And I, I became a fan of, of Jesus once again. Um, I, everybody I worked with, everybody I, I talked to, I wanted to make sure that they heard this sermon that they knew what I knew. <laughs> yeah. So uh, around this time is, let's see, my, my, I think my timeline's right. Around this time, uh, I was in Lubbock, Texas, and, and we have a ranch in Zephyr. And so around this time, I was beginning to, to come down here and, and kind of like work on the ranch a little bit and kind of yeah. establish my foot leaving Lubbock and coming down here to, to work the ranch. And... Um, the, the local church um, was exactly what I needed. I, so, like, I started, I, I was going to find a church. And yeah. so uh, I go out and I, I come to Coggin one time. And, and the worship at, at Coggin, you were leading, and the worship completely captured me. I, I was like, this is, this is exactly where I need to be. And then I... Um, meet Daniel Attaway. I think I yeah. went to lunch with you first, right? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I we think so. I think Daniel wanted to take me to lunch, and then you took me first, and Daniel was jealous. That's so right. I think that's how it first, worked out. First, first right here. First right here. But um, so, yeah, the – I mean, it was a brother in Christ. It was it was like that, that immediate ease, that immediate connection. And uh, through Coggin, I was able to get plugged into a small group where we met on Thursday nights and um, – go to a, get a Sunday school class. Um, yeah, so there's, there's never been a moment where I felt like I was, I was judged or I was ridiculed trying to come back from, from where I was. Um, I, I was part of the family. Yeah. So, like, you know, uh, you – I was living in Swalla. I mean, it might as well have been – like a pigsty. That's that's how I felt. It was, uh, I mean, so the the prescription drugs it was it was opioids, and so I wasn't. I was originally prescribed opioids, but then I wasn't, and so I was buying them on the street, which is extremely expensive. And so all all this awesome money I was making was going into this opioid addiction, uh, and so I. It, the prodigal son, absolutely. I mean, he took his inheritance, and then he went, and he spent it on sex and, you know. Wild living. Wild yeah. living. Yeah. And he ends up in eating out of the pig slop. And he says, you know, my servants for my dad have it better than I have. And then he returns, and, and the father welcomes him with open arms, you know. And that's, that's exactly the story uh, of my life. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's crazy. It's ridiculous. Um, so, 
as much as I might have had a desire, I would have called myself a Christian during this time. You would have looked at me and you would, you would say that, that there's no way that this can be true if you knew all the dark secrets of my heart. And I was, to my own detriment, I was very good at hiding it. So you yeah. wouldn't have looked at me and said, ah, that's, that's a drug addict or anything. But if you, if you knew the inner workings of, of my life and my heart, you, you would have said, there's, there's no way this, this guy is lost as a goose. I, I was, I was um, so I, I never married, I, I never had any kids, and so I was, I was working and living in, uh, for not for, to fill my addiction. Uh, yeah. That's an uh, awful, awful way to exist. And mm. the realization of that that, that came to me. Uh, now um, I'm surrounded by my family out at the ranch. Uh, yeah. I'm surrounded by my family here. I get to do something every day that I, that I love and enjoy doing. And, you know, Y'all's story out there is not going to look like mine. You know, uh, it's, it's going to be completely different. But if in the midst of your sorrow and in the midst of your despair and your darkness, God is doing something. He's producing something in you to his glory. And it's going to look different for all of us. But I guess there's, there's two people in this room. There's people that are struggling with an addiction, and there's people that know somebody that is struggling with addiction. But... Be like a persistent brother-in-law. He didn't have to, like, rub my nose in it. He didn't have to pry. He, but he was lovingly persistent with something that was going to completely steer me back to where I needed to be. So if you're a follower of Christ and, and your walk is firm, then, then be that to somebody else. Don't be the overbearing, judgmental type that's, that's, that's seeking to, to point out the blame in someone else. But be the ever-present, loving, persistent Brother-in-law, like I talked about. Yeah. So the, the, the feeling of despair and darkness, as real as it is, is it, it's, it's of Satan. This is, Jesus created this world, Jesus created you. Um, Jesus is, is bigger, Jesus is better. He's not going to leave you alone through this, when you feel like you don't have the strength to reach out, he's going to send somebody to reach in. And it's going to be him reaching into your life. And, and it's a long, hard road. But what you get in the end is far better than you could have ever imagined. Uh, I guarantee you that. Um, somebody who's coming from the other side of things looking back. Um, so I guess if, uh, and a lot of times mine was born out of arrogance. I, I thought I could like walk that line and be yeah. successful and, yeah. and party like I wanted to party and feel good like I wanted to feel good. I, I, th I had this arrogance in me that I could get away with it and I, the consequences wouldn't come to me, you know. So for me, it was Jesus needing to shine the light in me to see how see the dark areas of my life because uh, that sermon, that's, that's what that did really yeah. w was to show me um, how dark it was. So if you're in that spot and you know that the, what you're doing is, is contrary to, to, to the, your walk with God and you have no desire for Jesus, pray for that, that light to shine in your life that you might have that wake-up call that, yeah, this is awful. Yes, this is depraved. Yes, this is not the, what I need to be doing. Uh, and, and he'll do it for sure.